listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. And we got two thumbs up in that corner. And Mike has got thumbs up someplace, but we don't know why, folks. Welcome to Geekiest Show Ever, episode 208. And we started out just as we always do with Mike having things going the wrong way for him. Right, Mike? Sure. <laughs> Someday it's going to go the right way and I'll be so confused, I'll just turn around and do it the wrong way just so everything seems normal. You mean the other way around and reverse backwards, opposite side down? Sure, that too. <laughs> okay, well that's good. <laughs> and folks, this week we have another very special guest with us. We have with us an author. We have Mr. J.F. Dubow. Welcome, J.F., to the show. Hi, guys. How are you doing? We're oh. hanging in there for a little bit. We're awesome. So. <laughs> very, very happy to be on. I've, I've already uh, podcasted with Mike in the past, and it's always been a blast. So this is, this is an honor. Oh, well, glad to have well, you. Thank you. Honor. Yeah, yeah sure. there we go. Wait, let's not get too carried away. My my screen's only so big, my head won't fit in it if it gets too big. So, And most people don't feel that way after the show's over, so let's just set the expectation up front. Sure, yeah, okay. I, I, I do podcasts mostly because I like shooting the shit with, uh, with uh, how I say, similarly-minded individuals. So I, I think we're going we're gonna to get along just fine. Oh, I think so. And, uh, you know, you'll fit in because... Uh, well, like I said, I should fit in with you, too, because uh, one of the podcasts you're on from time to time is uh, Sci-Fi Geeks Club. Well, I do Sci-Fi Tech Talk, and this is the geekiest show ever, so I figure i got to be the geekiest sci-fi person around, so I don't know. Also makes me feel like I've, I'm going to have done the uh, the geek trifecta. I've been on I've been on Sci-Fi Tech Talk, I've been on, uh, on uh, the Sci-Fi Geeks Club, and now I'm here, so... There we go. It's a hat you're, trick. You're, you're geek... Geek cred is good, so and we mm-hmm. shall, we shall award you ten thousand geek points right off the top of the, the show. Oh, sweet! I bet I can you know um, I bet I can turn enough of these in to get a, a pocket protector. Uh, no, we actually have slide rules for those when you reach reach two million. That's amazing. <laughs> I actually have slide rules around here somewhere. They're yes. out of reach, but yeah, I am I, that much of a geek. Yeah, I have my two slide rules here in my drawer, so. That that goes to show age and geekiness, right? Okay. Yeah, no, I I don't ever think I've ever owned a slide rule. <laughs> uh, well, before we, we have to correct an omission, a terrible, terrible omission from last week's show, something that has just caused an outcry from all the users. We forgot the world famous weather report, and and to help make up for that. We have a guest contribution by our occasional co-host, Miss Elisa Paselli. She says that in upstate New York, it's supposed to be in the 50s and raining all week, and the five inches of snow that she got has melted all too sadly. Yeah, I'll kiss my ass. The, <laughs> <laughs> she sent me the snow porn pictures, folks, so I could live vicariously looking at the beautiful pictures of snow. I will say that yesterday here in Virginia, it snowed, I don't know, half a dozen, maybe a dozen times. Didn't accumulate, but the wind was howling and it was snowing like a mother. So, I mean, it was great. Now, today it's, you know, upper or mid-40s right now as we record, so. And it's supposed to rain in the next couple of days, which is okay. The sun hurts, so. <laughs> and just so Kevin, or so um, JF gets our shtick here, um, I think snow is evil, and Kevin is just wrong. So uh, that's the way we kind of do this. So, 
I, I both hate and love snow, depending on whether or not I've got a snowboard strapped to my legs. <laughs> but right, right now in uh, right now in the eastern township of Quebec, a, a dark, evil uh, shadow has cast itself over the sky, darkening everything upon its path. I look upon outside my window, and all I see is the void. I, I think it's just I think it's just night. Uh, <laughs> it could I was be. Say, sounds like you're right or something. You do have a word away with the words there. Well, no, it's because really I have no idea. It could be snowing or raining. I wouldn't know. It's just dark out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Speaking of which, why don't uh, we let the good folks, uh, or let you tell the good folks uh, a little bit about what you're doing and uh, and uh, your authoring wisdom. Um, all right. Let me start with the, let's go chronologically. Uh, on March first, I published my first book, which was a science fiction novel. Mike uh, Mike knows all about that. He's been one of my one of my best supporters, actually, um, which is always always cool to 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 be able to talk to friends like that. And uh, that's been going okay. I mean, it's not the margin or anything, but it's it's been in good reviews. But for the the past few months, I've also been trying to crowdfund a second book on Inkshares. That is in a completely different vein because I don't know how to build a, pr- a brand for myself properly. See, I should be I should be building a uh, building my reputation as a as a sci-fi author, and uh, instead of doing a second sci-fi book, I did a a, a fantasy horror book. Um, I'm being told by the, the production manager that my audio is cracking up again. I don't know if the if you guys want me to try to fix it. Again, you just pl- uh, unplug it and plug it back in quick. How is this? There we go. All right, let's hope it it, it hangs on. <laughs> so yeah, right now I'm in I'm in the final uh, final twelve days as of this recording of the uh, the crowdfunding campaign for my book uh, A God in the Shed, which is a fantasy horror book. It's a bit of a mix between say Stephen King's Stand by Me and Call of Cthulhu. Uh, if if the, either of these things are of interest to you. And the, the way Inkshares functions is you get pre-orders, and if you get, say, 250 pre-orders, you get the uh, sort of bare-bones, uh, very, very basic publishing deal with them. But if you get to 750 pre-orders, they, uh, they do a full edit, full cover design, full marketing and distribution of the book. So I'm getting close to the 750 I've got very little time left, so I'm, I'm kind of scrambling and panicking, but I'm hoping to make it there. Well, I think you'll do okay. And, you know, we um, you should mention, too, that your book, um, A Life Engineered, was selected for the Sword and Laser uh, book anthology. Yeah, well, no, actually, not the anthology, but the, the collection. The book anthology. Oddly enough, the, the, uh, the collection's on Inkshare, which means that the Sword and Laser anthology, which was published before Inkshares, isn't part of the collection. However, uh, my book, The Life Engineered, which is a cool sci-fi book about robots and the future and stuff, um, is part of the Sword and Laser uh, collection on Inkshare along with uh, three other books by some other cool authors. Cooler than I am anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sell yourself short, dude. (laughs) Well, if you can get people to buy 750 books just to get it published, I think you're doing okay because you know it takes something to get people's attention because especially nowadays you know with the internet every, people's attentions are drawn everywhere and so to get you know that much attention from you know 
for something like that. I, I think it, you know it takes some uh, doing there, and I've got you know three of your books over there because that's what I got for backing you at that level, and I still haven't given them to the libraries yet. I got to get around and do that, but um, I got them sitting here. But you know, we read it and we did it for our uh, sci-fi uh, tech talk podcast, and you know, and that was a good book. And I've started to read a little bit about your uh, your God in the Shed book. What's uh, can you give a brief? overview of the story itself or so okay the story is set in the eastern townships of quebec which is where i'm at right now coincidentally um and it's basically the story of a a tiny village called saint ferdinand where three generations ago um somebody the residents stumbled upon this old god an extremely extremely powerful trans-dimensional entity and messed up they angered it somehow and the, those, the, that generation, generation after have, I don't want to reveal too much, but have sort of built a history with that, that god, with that creature, and kept it imprisoned and increasingly angry at being kept imprisoned until the, the, some events in the book means that it gets released. But through a certain um, serious circumstances, it gets trapped in a the main character of Venus McKenzie's backyard shed, and she has to figure. She and her friends sort of have to figure out what happened for this creature to to exist to be there, and how to get rid of it before it takes its revenge upon the entire world. And as the as they're she, she's discovering this information, all this sort of digging up the past of the the village she lives in, the that the the, the god is slowly breaking out of its shackles, while at the same time uh, the the other residents of the village, each with their own agenda, are trying to figure out where the uh, the, the the entity went and how to get it back for their own personal agenda. Wow. <laughs> so. It's, it's the first part of a trilogy. I mean, the, the story is sufficiently self-contained, but there, there's more. There's, there's two sequels that are planned for it, and it's this is one of the reasons why I really want to get the full publishing thing. Because after having worked with one of the editors at Girl Friday Production, which is the production company that works with Ink Shares, I realized that I can write a robot book and be okay with some basic editing. But for this horror series, with all the characters and all the events and the, the history behind everything, I feel that it really could use the help of a professional editor. Well, you know, considering all I've ever written was essays in English in high school, and I didn't probably get too good of grades on that. Um, but I know it does take some effort to try and put a story together, because I've tried a little bit. And you do have to you got to keep track of everything. I mean, what is the writing process like? Did you come up with the idea and then your characters? Did you have a roadmap or did you kind of sketch it out as you went? Um, usually the way I, I come up with stories is I'll have a general idea of, of a basic concept. Like in this case, I wanted to write sort of a, a horror story, a, a Harry Potter meets Call of Cthulhu type thing. Um, and starting from that concept, I'll, I'll come up with some set pieces, certain scenes that I want to see. I'll start building some characters. Usually I do this, like I take these very, very long walks, just listening to music and just, you know, letting the ideas ferment in my, in my diseased brain. And <laughs> once I've got enough of these 
sort of ideas, I'll write them all down. Like I'll write down some character bios. I'll write down some of the, the ideas for these set, set pieces and scenes. And I'll write down a general plot. And I'll start subdividing the story into acts and then each act into chapters and each chapter into sections until I have a, a, a sort of roadmap. In, in the case of A God in the Shed, I had this very kind of young adult thing plotted out at first. But by the time I did the entire roadmap, I noticed that the, the the young adult characters were only like a tiny fraction of the story I needed to tell. So that kind of that not dis- disappeared into the into the background, but it became kind of the, the the topping on the pizza. But then underneath, you have all the sauce and the other condiments and the crust, and I'm hungry. So <laughs> so it, it, it it's it that's why like the book is is no no longer no, no longer really fits into the young adult fiction type template it's it's grown into something much more complex than that it's to me it's more satisfying because i get to play with much more characters but it has a level of complexity in having that 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 i'm really eager to um how do i say i've already worked with some editors so i mean the manuscript i have now is serviceable it's a good manuscript but i i wanted to 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 be perfected i really want this first book to be good enough to sort of encourage and support the following two books. Well, um, do you just write in like a uh, like Word or a text editor, or do you use like uh, authoring software like Scrivener or something like that that helps you keep track of things? I, I use um, a very cool little piece of software. It's very similar to Scrivener, but I think it's a bit cheaper. Uh, but it's also more integrated into the other platform. It's called Storyist. And I think it's Mac only, which is the its big problem. However, it does a lot of the same things Scrivener does in the sense that I can I can write the novel, I can have a little index cards, and I can move chapters around, keep bios, and everything's all kept in the same document. But it what's great about it is it syncs through Dropbox, and there's uh, there's an iPad and uh, iPhone application for them. So if I want to take notes or make quick modifications on the run because I have an idea, I can do it directly on my phone or my iPad. It's going to sync up with all my uh, my other pieces of software, all my other platforms. Well, I was going to say, trying to write a story like that to keep track of characters and scenes and who does what, I, I figured you had to have some some way of managing the story itself, not just the words, but the the content of the story. Well, the, the first few books I wrote and actually the first draft of this book that I wrote was completely in word so uh, my my way of keeping track of characters and scenes was uh, you know notepads <laughs> and not digital notepads just I have a I have a sketchbook in which I would just write these complex serial killer level sort of webs of ideas where this connects to that and this 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 is the timeline of this and mind mapping so to speak um, yes, but for crazy people. Okay. <laughs> you're, well, well, you're, right at home. you're right at home then with the, with the yeah, yeah, of there us. So there, there's no problem there. So, so I'm, I'm glad that now I can do it in software where if I die, people will look at it and say, oh, look at how organized he is. Instead of having all these notes on paper that if I die, someone will say, oh, he probably has bodies buried under, under here somewhere. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, they're the same ideas, but... Well, no, the bodies don't show up unless you put the paper on the wall and then put the red string between them. That's when the bodies start to show up, as I've been told. I, yeah, I haven't done the string thing, but I have used different colored markers to connect ideas on paper. 
Okay, well, maybe there's some small body parts in your basement then. Yeah, you know, a dead cat, maybe. Okay. I, I don't... <laughs> Or, or blood, sweat, and tears, something like that. <laughs> there you go. I have a question for you. I was looking at uh, the Inkshare site, and you're talking about funding the book and all that. And I noticed there's different ways to fund it. Mike talked about buying the three books at one time, uh, and, and that gives you, and then the, uh, and that gets you three co- three hardcover books or three hardbound books, and then there's the single. But the, when it comes to like the ebook, how does how much does that help you if people want to buy the ebook? Because I'm a big ebook reader these days. Well, the thing about the ebook is it helps me pretty much equally as buying a single physical book in the sense that it counts for a purchase. Because the way Inkshares work, I mean, they call it crowdfunding. I think that's a bit bad marketing on their part because once a book funds, the money that they made with the pre-orders are nowhere near enough to do the publishing they do. So they do put in a, uh, a significant investment of their own into the product, production of the book. Um, what that means is two things. First of all, it means that crowdfunding is the wrong term. It's more of a crowd voting. They want to reach that number more as a vote of confidence by readers that they want to see that story. Say if 750 people say, yes, I'm willing to pay 10 to $20 to get a copy of that book, that means that they feel the book can get a public. The other thing it means, which is a lot more interesting for both the readers and the writer, is that Inkshares has a vested interest in making sure that the book is successful to at least a certain degree. What that means is that contrary to, say, a self-publishing company, they're not going to try to make you, the writer, happy. I mean, they will, but their main consideration is making sure that your book is good. So they don't – they're not yes-men and – as I've told other people who have funds on Inkshares, uh, congratulations, you just won a second job <laughs> because they – I mean they will make you write that book until it's good. They will edit it until it's, it's, it's a book. It's, it reaches the potential that they think it can reach. That's interesting because I, I, I often wondered that and I, again, I didn't get a chi- time to dig all the way through all the Inkshare stuff as I was looking at stuff on there but – I mean, I've heard other things, you know, other podcasts, other radio shows, even television shows, where I've heard some authors complaining about the digital version of books. But these were mainly uh, authors, you know, that were on the New York Times bestselling list. So I'm trying to figure out why is it so bad for them, yet for for somebody like you, it, it works out really well, it sounds like. Well, there's one thing I've discovered about the the publishing industry. It is that it's both complex and in constant flux. And the the problem with digital, what do I say? The problem with digital is that for older authors, they may not necessarily be in the best deals as far as profits are concerned. I'll I'll give you an example. Um, Right now, the deal I have, and it's it's the same deal everybody has that gets on Inkshares, is that we get 70% of 70% royalties on ebooks. However, someone who is quote unquote grandfathered into a deal with his publisher and is only getting 30% on ebooks, they must feel like they're getting cheated because the production costs for their publisher to make an ebook is almost nothing. Yeah, right. I mean, they don't. I mean, once they've produced the the the, the the original ebook, they don't need to print more. So that's it's dirt cheap. 
So uh, I, I think a lot of the uh, – uh, we're, we're not going to see this kind of complaint for very long because most of the people most, – most of these authors have rewritten their contracts, uh, are getting into new contracts. So they're getting better deal on their digital versions anyways. Because uh, I know uh, back when I was – when I'm not much of a writer, although I've greatly improved over the years. I, I freely admit this. I failed a semester of English and my mother asked me – she said, why? I said, because I don't care. <laughs> and she said, well, you got to bring it up. I said, okay, fine. So I got F one semester and A the next semester. It worked out. I passed. I moved on. She said, so you can do it. I said, I never said I couldn't. I said, didn't want to. So hence I get to college, and I put off taking English comp until the very last year that I could put it off because I was going part-time. And I lucked out and got a lady that was an author and had just published her first book. And I remember her talking about, and of course, I'm dating myself. This is back in the late 80s, um, or no, early 90s, excuse me. And, you know, she was talking about all the trouble she had getting a book to publish, you know, and, and you know, how many, how much work she had done. And I think it's amazing now that, that somebody can go on to Inkshares as you've done, and you can do this and get a book published. Because, I mean, I always felt limited in what authors or what authors were allowed to come out. Because you always see the, you know, in the movies and other things, you hear about authors struggling where they sound like they have an excellent manuscript or an excellent story, but the big publishing companies just brush them away or something like that. And that's so sad. It It is, but at the same time, you have to understand, you have to look at it from the point of view of the publishing company. The there, There's this thing called a slush pile, which is essentially all the manuscripts and submissions that the, the publishing companies receive. And let me give you an example of sort of, say, the, the chronology of submitting a book. When you're, when you're submitting a book, you're not just sending in your manuscript, crossing your fingers, and someone at the editor or the publisher receives your manuscript, reads the whole thing, and then decides whether or not to go for it. The first thing that they read is your cover letter. Basically, uh, those would be your basic credentials, who you are, what your experience is, what you've written and published before, and all that. If they pass that, if they look at that and say, hey, this has a chance, then they'll read the pitch for the book, which is usually one or two sentences. Usually they'll read the pitch whether or not they've read – whether or not they read further. Like they'll read your cover letter and your pitch. But after that, if it's only if they're interested in the pitch that they'll read, say, the, the, a synopsis. And then from the synopsis, they'll read a sample, not a full manuscript. So you have to pass all these things. And if I can tell you one thing, it's as easy as, as I feel that writing a 50,000 word novel, novel is easier for me than writing a two sentence pitch that doesn't sound corny or boring. It's, and if, if you look at like, say, someone like me, I come from a graphic design background. I have never published anything, I, not even short stories in, in, man, in magazines. So, when before going to ink shares, apart from self publishing, sending my manuscripts to publishers was really, really a, a playing the lottery because they received thousands of manuscripts every month, probably maybe even every week. They don't have time to read every one of them. And if they look at someone's cover letter that says graphic designer never published anything, here's my synopsis it's a book about robots. It's easy to pass over that, no matter yeah. how good the manuscript might be. 
because these people have they have limited time. If they're let's say my let's let's say my cover letter uh, hits their desk at a quarter to five on a Friday evening, it's going straight to the trash. I mean, you really need to have something that hooks them. Yeah, it's it sucks, but it's understandable, and that's what's great about Inkshares is that it replaces this slush pile system by the crowd voting. Like Inkshares doesn't have to have an editor spend day after day just reading cover letters and manuscripts and synopsises. Instead, they have someone who just monitors to see how the campaigns are going and when a campaign funds, then they bring the author on board and they start the negotiation to see to see how to get the book published. Well, I I like that model better because I you know I've always been a strong believer in in reading is very important to people. I mean, when I was younger, I was a voracious reader. I don't read quite as much as I used to, um, but I was a very voracious reader. And we've inspired at least one of our children to become a very voracious reader. Um, she recently received seven books for her birthday. That'll probably last her, you know, a month and a half, maybe. So. Wow. Yeah. Very voracious. Yeah, well, her and her mother are very voracious readers. I mean, they go to the uh, the local library system has a book sale every so often, and they go down, they'll buy the books, they get you know hardcover, paperbacks, whatever it is, you know, fifty cents or a dollar or two for the book, and they usually come home with about thirty books or so. But the good thing is, then once we're done with them, we donate them back to the library to let them get sold again. So the library gets the book back and then gets the money back, you know, gets to sell it multiple times and keep getting money for the book, which is a nice thing. So, again, my wife and I are huge proponents of our children reading, and we'd love to see them read. They all have Kindles, you know, very much into anything we can get in their hands to help them read. Well, and as you were describing that process, I'm sitting there trying to figure out what would the cover letter for, like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings look like? You know, we have this ring. We're going to go put it in the mountain. I mean, how do you just summarize that in, you know, a short, you know, short little synopsis like that? I mean, I, I can see how it, the more involved the story is, the harder it would be to try and come up with something that makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah, exactly. If If you have a complex story to tell... Summing it up into a, a two two sentence Hollywood pitch is very difficult. Like you have to you have to do what I I mean I hate describing my book as a mix of Stand by Me and God and and and, uh, and Call of Cthulhu, but it is the fastest way of getting the the general atmosphere of the book, um, you know, expressed to 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 a potential reader. Yeah, and you know, after you describe it that way, now I know that uh, I'm going to fund you one more reader there, so I will make that commitment. So I w- it was worth being here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I mean, because I love the story "Stand by Me." That was one of my favorites uh, that I've enjoyed. So I will definitely, even if it only hints at that, that'll that'll be enough to read it. And I imagine I can probably sell maybe a couple more copies of that for you too. So we'll see what we can do for you there, JF. If if you can look, I have some very nice incentives for people that get me, you know, upwards of ten pre-orders. Not necessarily of their own, but if they refer to book enough times, I have a because that that's the one thing that's kind of bizarre about the crowdfunding thing is that you end up not just saying, "Hey, I have a cool book." You say, "Hey, I have a cool book," and but wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So 
Good grief! Well, you, you sound like uh, uh, Popeil, the Popeil. Ron Popeil. Popeil. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's, it's exactly like that. But I mean, it stays within the realm of literature. One of the nice things about like the, uh, the, the, the reaching that 750 copy goal is that it gives me the opportunity to go to ink shares, sign and number some books, slip in some bookmarks that I'll bring with me. You know, be able to give something extra to make those pre-orders really feel more exclusive and make the people who pre-order feel like they're part of something more than just buying a book but actually participating in, in creating a piece of art. You know, that's that's one of the things that I've always been a big deal of. As I mentioned, my teacher, I went out and found her book. It wasn't something I probably would have read. I did end up reading it. But anytime I meet an author, I always enjoy having the author sign the book. You know, it's always... I've got I've even got some old computer books that you know totally out of date. We know how fast technology changes. But I knew the author and she was kind enough to autograph a couple copies and give to me, so it's something I treasure. So, you know, it's it's I always just find that neat. You know, it's almost like the an athlete's autograph, so to speak, you know, a professional athlete. I just I just love that idea. So maybe I'll have to buy more than one now. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's only money, Kevin. Oh. You can't take it with you. Yeah. Oh wait! If you feel if you think that's cool, wait. Let, let me just show you something really quick. See if if you look at this. This is a copy of my my other oh, book, yeah. The Life Engineered. Right. Uh, Mike has a copy. I don't know if yep. Mike even realizes this, but oh, if you Mike. look at on on the uh, the patrons page, this is this is Mike's name right here. You get your name in the book. Yeah, because oh. because he bought three copies. Oh damn! <laughs> this is getting expensive. <laughs> Well, okay. Just think of it this way: you just do without what one or less, uh, one or two less jump drives. Oh, don't, don't. Does JF doesn't know about my problem? Yeah, we have addictions on this show. He's got now, jump drives, and I got gadgets. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I have uh, just to summarize. I cannot walk by a good jump drive without if it's a good deal. I have them brand new in the package. I have plastic bags full of these things in my desk. Oh my god, are you, are you like a, a jug drive hoarder? Yes. Well, yeah. I, Do you yeah. have a dead cat under a pile of them? No, 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 no. But I mean like... Right well, he's there. probably got one digitized on it though. There's one bag full of them. There's brand what? new ones laying around my desk. <laughs> Never been opened. I just, I buy them when I see them. I always do. <laughs> Yeah, that's his thing, and my thing is I'm the tablet uh, king. Uh, I've got, I don't know what, four or five tablets. They each have a use. Yeah, I know. I, I bet they do. Yes. Well, okay, I got, a, <laughs> I got an iPad. I got a Fire tablet. I got an NVIDIA uh, Shield gaming tablet. Uh, I've got a well, – we're podcast. I'm podcasting from my uh, Windows Surface tablet here. I've got a smaller little Windows uh, tablet I take to work that I use for things there. Yeah, I've got uh, – I, I have a problem. Hi, my name is Mike. I have a problem. Yeah. Wait, wait. Is this the intervention podcast? Am I, am I supposed to counsel you guys at this stopping? Because I'm not going to tell Mike to stop getting at tablets. I think that's awesome. Well, yeah. I just I see one, and I you know, and I I I've grown. I've loved tech. I mean, that's I mean, both of us, Kevin and me, we both you know we love tech. We grew up on tech. Uh, you know, we've told the story before about how when we were growing up, it was just the, the tech was starting to take off. Computers were just starting to be a thing. Uh, the Apple twos was I never had one in school. They didn't. We didn't. The closest we came was a uh, uh, terminal that connected to a uh, computer somewhere else, 
Uh, that's all we had in school, and then we only got to use that for about a week. But so when you know the technology took off, we just we got to have it. We just you know it's. Um, I I actually got to talk to Rod Roddenberry once. Um, he was on a podcast. Yeah, for like a minute, and all I could think to say was, "I want my Star Trek future, and I want it now." But um, <laughs> you know, that, that's the thing, though, because I grew up watching Star Trek, and I just see all this stuff, and I just, you know, I want it to be more better. Um, you know, and so that's my thing. That uh, and I'd like I say, I got a, a, the uh, Fire tablet I kind of use for reading and TV shows, and the iPad for general purpose stuff, and the Nvidia is for gaming, and so like I say, they all kind of have a purpose. Uh, that's my excuse, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> so there's an interesting question. How much we talked a little bit about that you do writing on mobile devices? How much do you do that versus writing it up sitting in front of a, a, a regular computer, so to speak? Uh, well, so far, this is going to sound very strange, and a lot of my a lot of people that I've, I've I write with because I'm I'm part of like local writing groups and stuff, and. Until very recently, they would see me show up with an iPad and basically one finger type on the iPad, even though I knew full well I could set it down and type with my fingers. Um, the problem, the reason why I would do that, and I wrote several books that way, is because, and I still have the problem, I type very quickly. And as long as my finger is typing, I can keep a flow of thought going and it all kind of matches up. The moment I stop typing, I kind of hesitate with my flow of thought. So typing on the iPad slowed down my typing enough that it matched the way, like the, the speed at which I would come up with ideas to write the, the, the manuscript. Meanwhile, if I sit down at a keyboard, I type too fast and I end up like every time I have a thought of something, I type it and then I stop and then I have to think, type, think, type. And it's not like, it's, it's, it sounds so artsy-fartsy to describe it like that. <laughs> but it feels better to type at the same speed as I would as – I, as, I, as I'm coming up with the story than it feels typing in blurts, you know, in little short you know, spasms like that. Well, you, but you, I'm, you can keep the continuity going. You can keep the flow going so that you, you – hopefully your ideas will flow together and it doesn't feel like there's stops and gaps in there. Exactly. But now I'm, I'm trying to train myself to be able to work directly on the computer with the keyboard because I do write faster that way um, and just you know, become more comfortable with that process. And it's working. I've, I've, been, I've been writing the sequel to, uh, to The Life Engineered and uh, that's, that's been mostly done directly on a, on a keyboard typing a lot faster. Well, you, you, you say that too. The reason I ask that question is because Mark has said multiple times, Mark writes for a few websites. And I know even with his iPhone... 4 or 4S, he used to talk about sitting there, and he'd bang out a 500-word article laying in bed on the iPhone 4S. I'm going, really, dude? I don't think I could yeah, even I would. do that. No, what I like about having access to, to my books through Dropbox on the, on the iPhone is because you, you get ideas at the dumbest times. And if you're waiting in line at, I don't know, at the grocery store, and you say, oh, oh, God, I've got the solution to this one narrative problem – and if I don't write it down somewhere immediately, by the time I get to my car, I'll forget and that'll suck. So being able to whip out your phone, quickly go into the file, add your idea directly where you know you'll find it because, yeah, sure, I could write it down on a, on a receipt somewhere, but I'm going to lose that. <laughs> yeah. So writing it down directly into the, the, the proper file like on, on a virtual index card in Storyist means that next time I sit down to write, it's right there in my face like, yes, that's there. 
Well, I'm just sitting there picturing myself. You know, if I was standing in a uh, grocery store line, I think that would inspire me to write a murder mystery. I don't know. It's just oh, there would be no mystery as to why the murders <laughs> happen there. Oh, okay, it's just, just. I mean, you have murder mystery books, but you have very few just straight up murder books. <laughs> and hmm. maybe that's a niche that yeah you could uh, you could fill. That's yeah, on, that's on the the how to guides under uh, geek how to. <laughs> Life hack: murdering yeah. people in yeah. line. Yes. Yeah. And the title of, title of the book could be, but it's only twelve items or less. Get over it. <laughs> that would be a chapter. I think the book itself would just be called "Justifiable Homicide." There you go. I like that. Mm, mm. Now yes. I just got my juices flowing here. So, <laughs> wait. Oh, copyright. Copyright. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you do that. <laughs> Let me claim quick idea for that. That's great. So, so you 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 said you got you got the uh, the book out there now, God in the Shed, that you're working on or that you are trying to get funded. But yeah. how many other books do you have in production right now? I mean, it sounds like you've got besides this being part of a trilogy, it sounds like you've got several others in the works. Oh yeah, well, some something. Chronologically, like I've written so far, completely written six books. There are four of these, three or four of these that are garbage. <laughs> and these are kind of my training wheels because when I started writing, I had no formal training as a writer, um, no, no education as a writer. So a lot of the first things I wrote was, I mean, it was me trying to learn how to write. And maybe there's a couple of good ideas in there, but nothing publishable. So already you can forget all of that. Now, the uh, Life Engineered is a series, kind of open-ended, kind of an anthology series. And I, I know I, I ever since I first finished the first book, I already had an idea for the second. And actually, I have an idea for the third. It's a very easy universe to write for because there's a lot of cool ideas to have. So I'm probably going to be writing in that universe for a long time. But I knew that the moment I released, because the better readers for Life Engineered all had basically the same comment, this is neat, but I need more. So I knew I, need, I needed to start writing a, a sequel the moment I first self-published uh, Life Engineered because, because of the time it takes to write, edit, proofread, put into production – even if I were to say to, to, to get a publishing contract tomorrow, it would still take ten months, and I've already got people on my back asking for a sequel. So, but that's almost finished writing. Um, God in the Shed, the manuscript is completely done. There's a couple of things here and there that I want to tweak, but there's nothing to rewrite about the book. So, the moment it gets funded, I can immediately send the manuscript to the editor so that they can come back to me. So that's pretty clean. And the same, the same phenomenon is going to happen for the sequel to Life Engineered. If I fund it over, say, the, uh, the summer and in fall it gets funded, I can immediately send the manuscript because it's going to be done by then. So I, I try to always have one or two books in production. I currently have – I'm on contract with the Ed Greenwood group to write two books and I've got the first one half done. That's meant to I, – I need to deliver my manuscript in November for that. And, and but the the reason why it's important to from at least for me to always have manuscripts ready and always be working on a project is and the first ink shares contest for sword and laser is a good example of that when they announced the contest 
I didn't have to struggle to find material. I had a book ready. And every time there's an opportunity that springs up, I need to have a manuscript that I can say, oh, yes, absolutely. Here, let's try this. Uh, a good example is um, the Golanks Group. I can't pronounce their names. But it's a, a publishing house in uh, the United Kingdom had open submissions a few months back. And I was able to send them God in the Shed. They refused it. But I was able to send them God in the Shed because I had it ready. Um, whenever there's a contest on Inkshare and I don't have a manuscript to give it, that means I can't participate. So I try to keep to always be one or two manuscripts ahead of what is actually happening. Okay. All right. Yeah, because it just seemed like for me, I mean, I'm lucky I can focus and get a how-to guide written on something, which is the extent of my writing uh, these days in my job. But, you know, to have multiple things going in multiple storylines and then the characters across those storylines and then, you know, the, the, the plots and remembering the background for all that... This sounds like a pyramid scheme that would crush me under the weight of it, you know, trying to do this. So, I, that's amazing, JF. That's all I'm going to say. That's pretty amazing that you can keep track of all that and keep it all going. So, well, I, I keep, like I say, I keep an obsessive amount of notes and I try to keep them all organized, and I couldn't do it without that. What, uh, I was going to say, have you always, uh, have you written your whole life? Uh, I mean, or is this more, to this extent, uh, really, is this more of a later in life uh, thing? Well, I've I've always been telling stories, either uh, lies to my parents or I've been, um, like, I, I've, I've, I've always been, like, into, you know, drawing small comics and writing short, dumb stories and every, everything... Everything that I do is always very narrative based. Even when my my job as a as a marketing director, I always try to find the story behind, say, the advertisement or whatever project we're working on. The narrative of what we of, of what I do has always been important. But it's only about five or six years ago when I tried, you know, getting write a novel off my bucket list that I realized, oh, all of this. All of these other means of telling stories have led me to this. This is how I want to tell my stories because I can tell so much more and I can tell so much deeper stories through in a novel than I can in, say, a, a webcomic or uh, storytelling Dungeons & Dragons games and stuff like that. that brings- it- Go ahead, Mike. Well- I was going to say, was this um, the thing that got you started? I I think I've heard you say other places. Was, uh, the first novel you wrote, was this a, a nanorimal um, activity? Yeah, it was, a, it was a, basically I, someone pointed me towards the, the National Novel Writing Month as a, as a challenge. And I always work better with a deadline and, and a more sort of set um, you know, a list of rules and parameters. So... Being that I always wanted to say I wrote a novel, I, I decided, oh, I'll do that and I'll be able to say I wrote a no- novel and I can move on to the next thing. And halfway through I went, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to say I'm done with this because I'm never going to stop doing this. This is, this is crack. This is meth for me. I'm, it's, it's going to – I'm, I'm going to lose all my teeth but, re- but keep doing it. Well, you know, you mentioned too that you uh, – didn't I read that you have done or are doing an online comic? I used to have an online comic. I might go back to it, but it is such a time-consuming endeavor, 
And as much as it's personally rewarding, it's keeping me from doing other things like, say, writing books. And because I, I'm <laughs> – I don't want to say successful, but not unsuccessful with the book writing. I want to keep pounding at that. And if ever I go back to a time where I have some spare time, I'll go back to doing the webcomic. Well, I know I was, or I'll, I'll just rewrite it as a, a novel or a graphic novel. Well, I know I was watching uh, the video for God in the Shed, the little video that you have up there that explains it. And I'll make sure we put that in the show notes um, so people can go see that along with the other stuff. But... Uh, that I assume that was you drawing going through that process as you're watching that video that you were doing. Um, a- absolutely. The, 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 the thing that I've noticed, like if you're, I'm going to do a, a, a book, uh, a book trailer is that I don't have much visually to offer. So like, I, I don't, I don't think filming myself talking is very compelling. So instead I tried to, uh, I, I just draw something and put that as a time lapse so that there's something visual to the book trailer. Okay, okay. But, that, I mean, that was very good. That was, and, and the way you did that, it's, you know, I don't think I've ever seen a book trailer done that way, and it was, it very much kind of pulls you in to want to learn more about the way you did that. So, congrats on that. You did a great job there. Cool. Uh, well, thank you. No, no, no problem. Is there, uh, so, you're writing novels, would you ever see yourself if, Let's say God in the Shed, you know, the trilogy comes out, it becomes successful. Would you ever want to move on and do uh, movie writing or something like that? Um, I don't know if I'd be very good at writing a screenplay. I would much rather, like, if, if like, obviously being that I've worked on, on God in the Shed, I've, uh, I'm, I mean, you can't you can't write a book without thinking, hmm, how would it, how would it be like if this became a, a, a movie? And... Where a lot of people like start casting, uh, they, they start thinking, oh, who would be the actor for this character? I, I never give that much thought. Weirdly enough, my thoughts go to, oh, who would I get to do the soundtrack and who would I want to work with for the screenplay? I, I would rather sit down with a, 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 an experienced screenwriter and see what they would do with the story and, you know, help them and collaborate with them to do it than try to write a screenplay on my own because I, I have a feeling that the uh, there's an art to writing a screenplay. To, the, the pacing in a book is not the same as the, the pacing in a movie. Choosing which scenes to keep and which scenes to eliminate from a book is very important. And I, I, I feel that working with a, a proper experienced screenwriter, at least for the first few screenplays, would be very important. Well, Thinking of a different branch, that's something that's really become popular nowadays is audiobooks. How would you feel about it if somebody wanted to turn your books into your novels into audiobooks? That's actually something I've been given a lot of thought, and actually, I need to. Uh, I've been uh, doing some basic auditioning, and I have a bunch of, uh, of of people that have sent me samples that I need to get off my butt and listen to for to find a good voice for Life Engineered. Uh, but no, I definitely want to get an, an audiobook done of everything I do. It's just, it's a difficult model because it takes a lot of time to read a book and do proper, the proper audio for a book. But at the same time, I don't have the money to properly compensate a voice actor. So I need to find someone who's willing to collaborate with me at a sort of a rebate or work on some kind of royalty split system. It's, eh, it's, 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 it's annoying because I, don't want to shortchange or not pay someone that helps me with this. 
but at the same time, I have very specific requirements, especially for the life engineered. Yeah, I mean, I know that. I just, I wonder. Sometimes you, I wonder if the authors that have their books turned into audiobooks, if they really like that, or are they so strongly tied to the written word that they that they feel somehow cheated by that? I mean, would you feel cheated in any way by that? Not, not really. I feel that every, every um. The readers are the ones that dictate how they can or want to consume the story. And to a certain degree, as the the provider, the writer of the story, it's kind of my job to make sure that it becomes available to them in whatever format they're comfortable uh, consuming it and making sure that that format is of the best quality possible. So a lot of people, like you read a lot of electronic books – it's incumbent on me and on my publisher to make sure that we can offer you a an electronic version in whatever format you need and properly produce that it's easy to read and easy to, to acquire and go through. But some people, they like to read books while they're mowing the lawn or doing the dishes, and they do that through their ears instead of their eyes, so they rely on the audiobook. So it becomes, unfortunately, my publisher doesn't do audiobooks quite yet, but it is so. So it's incumbent on me to. It's my responsibility to find someone to record the book and do it justice. Which for Life Engineered, because it's on in the first person, it's a, a first person narrative from the point of view of a female quote unquote robot. Um, I need to find someone who's. Uh, I need to find a female that has a good voice, experience in recording, has the equipment to record in the proper. Uh, to the proper quality because I need to get it on the proper platforms and there are standards to be met. So it's 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 a lot of hoops to jump through. Yeah. But, go ahead, Mike. Uh, I just say, here's a wild idea. Since it's uh, about robots, why didn't you get a uh, robot to read it? Because <laughs> part, part of what you want makes, to listen to it. Well, that and also part of the uh, – because I, mm. I know some people have experimented with, with that. It's, mm. The results aren't as terrible as you'd expect. Mm. But part of what makes Life Engineered kind of unique is how human the robots are in their personality and the way they behave. And I I don't want that to be lost because a, a computer reading the text doesn't translate the emotions properly. Yeah, I know uh, a good friend of Mike's and mine, uh, Allison Sheridan, who's a podcast, also a podcaster, uh, had a lost her voice last week. And what she actually did was she typed up all her show notes, then made them very phonetical, and then had I forget what voice she said she ended up using inside uh, her Mac to read the show where she would have done it and, and do it that way for her because it, you know her voice was just shot; she could hardly talk at all. And she was complaining at different times, you know, it was missing that, that human into, in, in, intuition in the, in the things that would make, uh, you know, the normal speaking voice has. So, yeah, it has to be a real challenge to do that. Yeah, and that's, that that is one of the things about um, about audiobooks is that you you don't just want someone who's reading it. You want someone that, to a certain degree, acts it. The the mm. act as the narrator and the act as the characters when there's dialogue. And since again, like the life engineered is told from a first person point of view, that means that whoever is doing the narration is has to embody the character from the first chapter to the, to the last because they're basically tell, telling the story diary style. So it's yeah, it's you need to be demanding. Well, and like I say, I, I was only kidding there, but I have listened to audiobooks and because uh, 
the way my job is being a high school custodian, I have it doesn't take a lot of brain power, so I listen to a lot of audio books. That's how we manage to get uh, books done on Sci-Fi Tech Talk. Is I, I listen to them, and a good narrator can make or break it because uh, before I had money to buy a lot of audio books, I would go to uh, um, was it uh, what's the free? Um, oh, I know. Uh, I've not not it. Audible. No, no, uh, Vibra. Um, why is my mind blanking? Yeah. Where you can get the public domain books read by volunteers. Yeah, um, where different people read different chapters. It's just whoever's willing to volunteer to right. read it. It's, it's, uh, um, yeah, I, uh, my mind is blanking. But because I've listened to a few there, and uh, I was listening to one where somebody was narrating, uh, Sherlock Holmes book, and they would try to do uh, an exclamation point or something like that, and it dang near pierced my eardrums, and I <laughs> went and ripped the headphones off my um, head because it was uh, it just it hurt too much. Uh, and like I said, and they were just trying to they were overacting is what they were doing. But you're um, talking about Librivox, is who Librivox? Yeah, there we go. My my brain was shutting down. Uh, yeah, and there's some good stuff on there, and then there's some other stuff, and I've listened to a few books that way, and there's some where you get a different narrator with every chapter, which sometimes that's good, sometimes it's, you know, leaves something to be desired, but, um, you know, the price is right on all that stuff, but... Um, but, <laughs> yeah, free. But, and then, yeah, I think probably the best uh, narration I ever heard was for um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Um uh, was it Stephen Fry? I think uh, yeah, narrated that. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah, and so that's probably one of the best I've ever heard because he did all the characterizations and you know he had me on the ro- uh, floor rolling around laughing. So um, that's well, that, a good narrator. That's one of the things um, that for me, since I have such a commute, just so JF knows, I have a uh, about an hour and ten minute commute each way back and forth to work every day. So um, audiobooks are starting to creep in to what used to be exclusively nothing but podcast listening for that commute. So I'm starting to pick up more audiobooks. I recently listened to an old, old one, uh, The Red Badge of Courage, which is a very old book um, about the American Civil War. We won't go into that right now. But, <laughs> it, I mean, it was... No, it no, was, no. Let, let's talk about pre-Civil War America in detail. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, but, the, I mean, it's a good book. Uh, I enjoyed the book. And... It was one of those ones where you change readers every, every just about every chapter, um, but still, you know, you have to applaud the effort and applaud the the ability for somebody to do that and and go out there and do that. Uh, would a publishing deal like what you have allow that to happen? To um, well, right now the the rights to audiobooks are completely mine since because Ink Shares doesn't do audiobooks, they don't retain the rights for that. Okay, so then, yeah, if, if you know, if you wanted to get Mike to do uh, uh, the voice for for God in the Shed, because he does look a little bit like an evil, an evil person. I mean, you know, I could see him as the face of Christine, you know, in one of a, mm. one of a, uh, one of a book or something like that. So, yeah, he's he's very evil in that sense. And Mark could be the uh, could definitely be a sub creature of some sort. <laughs> Let's see if he listens to the show and hears that. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll I'll take your offer under <laughs> under consideration. <laughs> sure. 
No, uh, right right now the reason why I'm auditioning and I'm trying to find a, a good voice for uh, the life engineer, and I have people waiting on me to get back to them on that, is because I'm I, I'm responsible for the audiobook because Inkshares won't do it for now. Now Inkshares does try to find deals for their authors, like they play agent a little. Um, a was an, another fellow Inkshares author who wrote a book called The Show has done that. They have um, they they have Inkshare f- sold the audiobook rights to Tor Audiobook uh, Publishing for a respectable amount of money. The uh, the, the the words six figure have been spoken. Wow. Yeah. So mm. I mean. I completely encourage Inkshares to, uh, to to broker a similar deal for me, but until then, I'll be looking for my own audiobook uh, solution because I know a lot of people that want to read the book but don't have time to sit down with it. Yeah, and and you know, like I said, that's one of the things that I've faced a little bit more in in later life is, you know, you know, two plus hours a day on the road to work and and all that sort of thing. It just it makes it harder for me to read. A lot of times during the summers when I catch up on all my reading, I. You know, I can sit, I can go sit, relax, because, you know, without going into the backstory, I feel trapped inside during the summer where most people feel trapped inside during the winter. But um, then I can sit down, relax, and read. I was, like today, I was doing a ton of reading. I was reading, catching up on a lot of my periodical reading that I do. So, yeah, it, it'll it be interesting. And if, you know, if we get God in the Shed funded, then uh, there's a chance that, you know, it could fit into my summer reading, maybe? <laughs> you think? Um, if it gets funded, it will probably, let's say it gets funded now, it'll probably be coming out late, late 2016, early 2017. Well, all right. So it's summer of 2017. I've already got my reading planned out there for me. <laughs> there, there you go. Cause that, that is one of the, um, one of the drawbacks of wanting to produce quality books on Inkshare's part is that you don't go from manuscript to published books as quickly as you might expect there there's a lot of back and forth there's a lot of uh there, there's a lot of work to be done even from a good manuscript to before it gets to 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 a finished book well now have you ever considered the iBooks route i'm just curious because we've got a friend that that does do publishing on iBooks uh peter hey peter shout out to peter um he's uh he has published a couple books on iBooks did that ever occur to you to try? I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of it. So, well, the uh, the original route I took for uh, God in the Sh- uh, not God in the Shed, but the Life Engineered. Basically, what happened is I had two manuscripts. I had a God in the Shed, and I had Life Engineered. A God in the Shed. I sort of wanted to send it through the traditional publishing route, so I started sending the manuscript with my empty cover letter and my really bad to uh, to send a synopsis to actual publishers. Meanwhile, the Life Engineered I published through CreateSpace, which is Amazon's self-publishing branch. So did the layout, did the cover, and I published it. And it was doing okay. Uh, it was doing super well on the days that I would give it for free. I would give out about a thousand copies uh, when when it was free. Of course, didn't you get do squat? Like, <laughs> you know, I get I get squat. But to be honest, I'm in I'm, I'm at a point in my writing career where it's way more important to get my books and my ideas in front of readers than to make money. Like I basically play a zero sum game. Every time I make a dollar through books, I reinvested in books. 
whether it's encouraging another another writer by helping him with his campaign or getting some kind of publicity or may printing bookmarks to give to my readers you know any anything that's going to help get my book in front of more eyes so i i did try the self-publishing route and it's the problem with self-publishing is that it puts everything on the shoulders of the writer. So you can't just be a writer and self-publish. You have to be a writer, manager, editor, um, publicist. marketing, be a publicist. You have to do – you have to wear a ton of hats or pay other people money to wear those hats for you. So you usually end up losing money by self-publishing or doing a bunch of jobs, usually a, a few of them you do them very poorly. So, yeah, it's the Inkshare model is a lot of work because it means a lot of self promotion, and I hate self promoting. I'm not very good at I'm not very good at going to someone and saying, "Hey, look, I have this thing, and it's it's super great. Buy my thing, please." I can say like, "Oh, I wrote a book. I think it's super rad." I hope you think it's also rad, but I'll understand if you don't. And that that kind of lack of self confidence when you're trying to self promote is it's suicide. You know, you you can't go to someone and say, "I think maybe this is cool." Kinda. It's you know, you don't sell that way. The, the way you sell something is by saying, "This is cool. You need it in your book. It'll cure your impotence." <laughs> That's how you sell. And I'm not good at doing that. I can, I can do it as a joke, but yeah. to do it. You know, for real in in a, in a real setting doesn't work. So, being able to like be able to go to Inkshares has that bonus where someone else is going to do all these other jobs I can't do well and I don't know how to do for me. But in exchange, I have to learn how to self promote, which is a pain in the ass. But it's the the upshot is that I get to hang out with people like you guys, which is kind of <laughs> cool. Well, not, not everybody thinks that's an upshot, so just you know, <laughs> let me caution you there. So, <laughs> I, I I like hanging out with nerds. Yeah. I, mm. I just I just went to an entire convention, which is about painting toy soldiers and playing strategy games with them, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> with a, with a, a huge side dish of getting drunk. Oh, now see, you're right up my alley. I <laughs> I was one of the founding members of the D and D club back in my high school days, so. You know, it's, uh, you sh- you should come to Adepticon next year and bring some painted toy soldiers. This year, I met a guy who had a thing called a booze cart, which is a cart with two coolers, one with beer and one with liquor, and he would serve drinks to people for free, um, which pissed off the hotel. But the <laughs> the thing is, I talked to him and he said, "Yeah, we hung out last year. I gave you a drink," and I said, "Jimmy." I don't remember. You do your job super well. <laughs> you do it a if little all too goes well. well. Yeah, if I, all goes well, I won't remember next year either. Uh, <laughs> no, but I remember him, and I, he made me taste something he called a Rufi Colada. It was the best evening ever. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that's a, yeah, I, yeah, and I, it's interesting, too, that you mentioned that, you know, D&D is, is storytelling. That's something that you like to do, and that, you know, I I was never a great dungeon master, I'll say that. Um but I did used to love to play the game, and the story always sucked me in. I mean, that was what—that's what brought me into it. That was probably my early introduction into to sci-fi and stuff like that, because I actually used to be a member of the sci-fi book club and all that sort of thing. Which brings up another thing: uh, Does Inkshares ever work with like book clubs to help promote books, or do you have to do that? Inkshares, because they're dealing with authors from 
really all across the globe, they can't be very geographically focused. Like they can – like they'll, they'll try to get in touch with your local – some local bookstores and some local media. But they can't be aware of how the writing scene works in Montreal. And there's a much higher chance that I know that because I live here. So Inkshares will take care of most of the general marketing like talking to book uh, to, 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 to to bookstore chains and ind- independent book resellers, but when it comes to more concentrated local things, they'll help out. They'll give you tips on how to approach book, local book clubs, but they're not equipped to identify. Inkshares is like eight people. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, that makes sense. And yeah, because it would be tough for them to to globally do that and do it equally well for everybody that's that's using their their service. So, exactly. Okay, that makes more sense. But but they do work well with the authors to help them coordinate and organize these things. Now they publish almost. They they have no um, specific genre, no specific type of book, so they're not limiting themselves in any way to the to what the author can submit. I know I looked and there was a a cooking book. I think I saw out there and. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, it's a, it's a very special magic cooking book too. Oh, okay. I just try <laughs> to keep my fingers if I'm ever cooking. I just, that's my. That's well, all. the uh, the book's called Herbs, and it's a it's a an how to cook with cannabis. Yes. Oh my. <laughs> so Colorado people. Yes. Right. And Kevin, here's a little tip: uh, lady fingers aren't actually lady fingers. Just remember that. Yes. Yeah, that that really that brings us back to the whole serial killer thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That's very true. Well, I was gonna ask too. Now, you know, we've been talking about your publishing and everything. Now you do some podcasts. Now I'm trying to remember. Uh, do you have a writer's podcast that you do? I do a writer's podcast with my uh, fellow writer Paul Inman, uh, the author of the sci-fi book *Ageless*, also published uh, on Inkshares. The funny thing is, I got an Inkshares on uh, on in the first contest they ever ran, and a lot of the other authors, we I, I don't want to say we hated each other because but because we were competing, no one really communicated. <laughs> and when the second contest happened. A lot of us went, no, fuck no, we're not doing this again. Like this time we're all going to be friends. We're all going to be buddies. We're all going to help each other. And that way, like that, the, the way the, communicate, the, the community has been has stayed that way and kept that positive vibe. So me and Paul kind of got together and said, hey, let's do a podcast where we can talk about the books that are publishing. We can talk about what's happening on the platform talk about our experiences as as authors publishing on Inkshares, you know what works what doesn't work how to how to get readers and all that and it's 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 been really it's been really cool it's helped uh, it's helped us a lot and gives us a place to vent <laughs> oh we all need that that's kind of why we do this podcast um and the, the other uh, co-host, uh, Mark, he likes he goes on epic rants once in a while. So this is our place to where we kind of let off a little steam once in a while. But um, and uh, now you do that one, and I know from time to time you're on um, Sci-Fi Geeks Club. Yeah, Sci-Fi, Sci-Fi Geeks Club's been a really good, uh, I would say, very enthusiastic supporter of my career. And they're, it's very much in their DNA. Like they've had, uh, they've had people uh, like Brad Ludwig, one of the, the hosts, has another podcast called, not Adventure Time, 
But anyway, he has another podcast about role-playing games, and he's had Patrick Rothfuss on there. Andy Weir's been on Sci-Fi Geeks Club twice. Um, they've had Bonnie Burton. Like they, they have a lot of authors, and they're very author-friendly. They, I mean, they love sci-fi literature. They love being able to to encourage writers. And so I, I fell in with these guys, and and I mean, we we get along super great. I absolutely adore Brad Ludwig and Dave Nelson, the two main hosts of Sci-Fi Geek Club. So whenever they have, like I told them, if ever you are you you, you have a guest drop out, just just give me a call. I'll I'll be on just because it's very much like I enjoy hanging out with you guys right now. It's nerding out and talking about me. Because I'm a narcissist. Um, no, I, I, I just, I just like I said, I, I love going, being able to nerd out with people because I don't get to do it enough because I don't have a very nerdy job. So this, no. this is how I get my nerdy kicks. Well, see, no, you're not a narcissist. You just talk about the subject with which you're most informed. Yes, me. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, I'm a monster. Uh, well, I was going to say either that or you know the uh, the NSA in this country may know a lot about us, so you know they may do their own podcast about us someday. But and I, I want- that would be amazing. Oh my god, we need. To, I need to. We need to do this. We need to start a podcast that's like a fake humor podcast that's you know pretends to be from the NSA about random people. <laughs> Oh, I'll, I'll give you. Here's a good one that happened the other day at work. Uh, a coworker has set up the mobile hotspot on his phone, and it says FBI surveillance van number seventeen. So all of a sudden, I had people coming up to me. What is this? What is it? They're seeing it pop up on their phone. What is this? What are you? I said, Oh, that's an idiot detector. It's working. <laughs> I said, You didn't see a van out in the parking lot, did you? <laughs> You know, nice. they're, 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 they said, do you know who it is? I said, I can say nothing. I do know the details, but I can say no more. So I had like three or four of my coworkers like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> nice. So, you know, I mean, we work, we work near DC. So there's always that little hint of, uh, are they coming to get us now? You know, take us away. Ha ha. So whatever the, yeah, that's what the song was. So. Well, JF, this has been a real pleasure to talk with you. I, you know, truly a pleasure. I hope that sometime in the near future you'll you'll be willing to come back on the show with us again and nerd and geek out on maybe some other topics. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm into a lot of really nerdy things. Like I said, I paint toy soldiers for fun. That's really just epic nerd stuff right there. Well, as long as your father doesn't have to melt them down later into uh, lead balls oh, to I kill would- the enemy. I would punch him so hard if he – well, most of them are plastic, so. That's <laughs> so just sting the enemy a little bit if he had to use them. <laughs> yeah. The next paintball war. There you go. Yeah, so, in the next great paintball war, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be equipped for that. So do you want to give the, uh, the listeners some ideas where they can find out more about you and where, where to plug yourself online? Well, actually, Kevin, who cares about me? I want your listeners to go pre-order my upcoming book, A God in the Shed. They can find out about me later. I <laughs> know uh, right now because because I'm in the crunch of those last say last ten ten to twelve days of that campaign. Like my sole focus is uh, is getting people to that book, and I think I think the book is way more interesting than I am, anyways. So anybody that's interested, just go to uh, bit.ly slash God in the Shed, all in one word. It'll take you to the project page, and on the project page, you'll you'll find uh, a prologue and uh, sample chapters, synopsis, and a lot more information about the book. Some reviews from people who have read it. 
And uh, also, here's the thing that's kind of cool. I'm doing, I'm doing. I don't know if I mentioned it, but I'm doing this contest where uh, if people order enough copies of the book, like it, for every copy of the book that you order, you get sort of a, a virtual raffle ticket. And for every person that you refer that buys a book, you get another raffle ticket. And once the book funds, I'm going to pick a name at random, and I'm going to get in touch with that person, and that person is I'm going to use their name and likeness in the book and murder them. Awesome. Wow. So I've I've already like basically I've already got a few people dying in the book. So I'm just gonna replace one of these deaths by uh, by by the lucky lucky winner <laughs> of uh, of the contest. I'm not killing you for real, and I will talk oh. to whoever I'm whoever wins is I'm, I will talk to them to make sure I'm not killing them. Say in the way they lost their parents to not make this a traumatic experience. I just want this to be like a fun thing. Like I want I want the winner to be able to get his copy of the book. Go to his friend and say, "Check this out. I die on page two hundred and five or something." That that is pretty cool. I like that idea. That that's very good. So maybe I'm buying six copies now. Oh shit! <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you don't know how much of a smile yes. that would bring to uh, some people's faces if they uh, thought I was dying. So there you go. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're both in that that that, that genre, Mike. Well, he- Here's what you do. You go to people and you say, well, if you give me $20, I'll pre-order and there's a chance I'll get killed in a book and see how that see how that goes. See if that satisfies your needs to get rid of me. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, folks, uh, we will put the links for this stuff in the show notes. Please help out JF. Get him funded. Get this man out there. We because him keeping all this stuff in his head could cause really bad things to happen otherwise. So So help him get funded and get his book out there. So, I Mike, see that Twitch kicking in. I, I I don't I write to keep the aneurysms away. So, <laughs> hey, we all have to do something. I drink. Oh. <laughs> so oh. do I. <laughs> there you go. And I just play Borderlands and shoot things. Nothing well, wrong with that, right? I get right, my- wait. Are you, are those two separate hobbies, Mike? Because one no. of them's not legal. <laughs> well, I kill things in Borderlands. I don't okay. need black helicopters hovering over my house. So, no. and, well, you know, with the NSA, you have to be you have to be precise about what you're saying. Yes, this is true. We <laughs> welcome our NSA listeners. Thank you. <laughs> oh, by the way, NSA, go buy my book. <laughs> yeah, buy one copy for everybody in the NSA, and you're good. Exactly. See, there you go. It, bit.ly slash God in the Shed, all in one word. Thank you, NSA. (laughs) Oh, Mr. McPeak, would you like to tell people where they might be able to find out more about you if they care to have you murdered? (laughs) Well, yeah, well, okay, let's just make it a virtual killing, not a real killing, because I understand the paperwork is terrible. (laughs) But um, if you want to find out uh, what I tweet from time to time. You can find me on Twitter at DSC Chipman, and I have my about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak, that's M-C-P-E-E-K, and I'll throw a plug in for my other podcast that JF's been on, uh, Sci-Fi Tech Talk uh, with uh, Julie Keel and Jeff Sire. Um, I think our next book, uh, next thing we have coming up, I believe, is the book Ultima. Um, I got to check our show notes to see but i think that i know it's coming up in the future i think that's our next one but uh you can find us at sci-fi com. excellent uh folks if you want to find out more about me and my musings i'm always on twitter or i spend a little too much time there it's 
twitter.com forward slash B-I-G underscore I-N underscore V-A or go over to my about.me page at about.me forward slash Kevin Alder. If you want to find out more about the show, go over to geekiestshowever.com. Reviews and iTunes are always welcome and very much appreciated. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed this. Please help JF get his book funded. And if you do nothing else between now and next week, don't forget to hug a geek. Lisa Pacelli, Suze Gilbert, Vicki Stokes, women, savvy, geeks, three geeky ladies, technology from a female perspective.